0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz saxophonist, Dick Oates. He was born and raised in the state of Iowa and was brought up in a musical family. He was introduced to the saxophone by his father, Jack Oates, who was a very well-respected jazz educator and saxophonist himself. He would eventually make it to New York City in 1977 and join the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra. Since that time, he has been with the best in jazz and spent decades thrilling audiences. We caught up with them on April 19th, 2020 during the coronavirus quarantine to discuss jazz and hope. Enjoy it. Cool. Hey,
1: thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. I got
2: <laughs> Yeah, we all do, don't we? I so where
1: know.
2: exactly are you located? I'm in uh, Philly right now because uh, I kind of got stuck there. I, I got a house in New York, but I also have a, uh, an apartment down in Philly because I teach at Temple University and uh, in, in Philly. So I've been kind of down here. I have one son that's down here and a son and a daughter that's up there and another son in Denver. So I had to pick where I thought I'd be most effective.
1: <laughs> wow, yeah. 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 Well, thanks. It's pretty extraordinary time, so thanks for taking a minute out.
2: Man, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so. It's all good.
1: So talk to me a little bit about what you're doing lately. Any projects, anything you're doing during quarantine, anything that's going on?
2: Uh, well, I'm doing a lot of Zoom, uh, lectures. Uh, I also teach, I mean, I'm doing a lot of temple with my small group and, uh, and my uh, private students. And I'm also, you know, I've done some uh interviews, like I did kind of a feel-good interview from some students I didn't know in the last, uh, uh when was it, last August. And so they asked me if I could kind of give them some encouragement advice on what to do if they're younger, you know, and how to uh, make the most out of this uncertain time and, you know, make it positive. So I've been kind of doing a lot of that. I've been reaching out to a lot of my not only my colleagues or friends, but just, you know, doing things that I would not be able to really do. Uh, you know, a lot of it's, you know, sending emails of encouragement out and also getting, uh, uh you know, chances to listen and watch videos of music cats, you know, <laughs> that I haven't been able to do because I've been so busy. Just kind of stopped everything. So it's been really kind of, uh, fascinating time for me because since I started my career, I've never had time to really delve into this sort of forced time off. So, you know. Cause yeah, I, I've heard a lot. Well, you know, you know when, you start, when you start gigging, you know, it just goes. And then, you know, when the gigs stop coming in, but they just never seem to stop coming in. So, I just, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was telling my wife the other day, I said, the thing that was probably going to save me is the, coronavirus, just to, so I'm not, you know, going out all the time, being overtired to, you know, work too much, and, uh, but I'm doing a lot, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot online, and uh, I'm also uh, got a connection, like I said, in Amsterdam at the conservatory there, and I probably do a, a few uh, uh, classes and master classes there, maybe some private students, work with a few rhythm sections, maybe. And, uh, then, uh, most of my gigs have canceled, uh, so far through June. I had about four weeks that, uh, were great gigs, uh, that, you know, with Joe Bagnarelli and Gary Smolian and so, a good non-net group in Paris and Switzerland. And then we're going to play with the uh, Frankfurt Radio Orchestra with Jim McNeely after that. And then that, I haven't heard yet from that, but that's canceled. And then I'm supposed to go to Amsterdam later in the month, in June, to do that. And I haven't heard yet, but I think that's probably going to cancel. So, and whatever is left, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping to. but uh, We're supposed to do a tribute to Charlie Parker in Spain at the uh at a festival over there with uh, Magnarelli, Joe Magnarelli, and then from then. Uh, my son gets married down uh, in Colorado. So let's go up to that. My daughter goes, <laughs> my daughter enters her first year of college coming in the fall. And then I gotta go back out. I was doing a, a bird to strings thing with, uh, Justin D. Chocho, uh, in Las Vegas. And then as soon as that is over, I go right up to Vail and do a eight days of a workshop in Vail Jazz Festival. So we'll see what the, you know, if it, if it's going to happen or not. But, uh, yeah,
1: that's the thing right now. I don't think anybody knows.
2: Nobody knows. And especially, you know, it's, it's really hard for a lot of my friends and musicians that, you know, that are, uh, you know, we're used to, you know, that's how we gig, that's how we work, that's how we survive is playing. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, uh, I'm lucky to have some teaching, uh, Type of a teaching reputation, it kind of covers me for this time. But you know, it's not an easy time for all of us musicians, artists. Yeah. So. Yeah. Probably the same thing. where you're your neck of the woods. The same thing. Everybody's kind of going through.
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been everything's dried up, and everybody's scrambling to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, so. I mean
2: that's that's why I'm staying tight. You know, like the Vanguard, the uh, Mondays, of course, are not happening, and I've been doing that. Since, uh, for 42 years now. So, it's like so hard yeah. not to get in, in the car and drive into New York City and, and, uh, you know, get prepared for, you know, the big band on Monday nights It's such a different trip.
1: Let me ask you this. Um you're from, uh, you're from Iowa, right?
2: I'm from, uh, yeah, I was born in Des Moines and raised, uh, in Earlham. And Jefferson, Iowa, small little farming communities that my dad used to teach, uh, teach at. And, uh, so that's kind of where my brother and I got our musical beginning is like, right there in, in the heartland there. <laughs> you know, and it was a, uh, it was an amazing experience because, uh, you know, I, I had no idea how far I was going to take this. And, uh, I think just, you know, one thing led into another. It's kind of like, you know, you got the Ryan Kaiser family that kind of did the same thing. You have Bill Stewart who also did a similar thing. So, you know, our fathers played and, uh, we kind of learned a lot from that early beginning, you know. So those are the kind of the roots of how I got started it was definitely my dad and, uh, you know, influenced by my brother and then we just kind of grew and started working and, you know, our first gigs were in Des Moines, basically. And, uh, I was going to Drake University, uh, for about a year and decided, man, that's not going to really be what my calling is. And, uh, I remember telling my father, he said, look dad, I'm not going to, beat around the bush here, right? this college thing is not going to work for me. He says, well, what do you mean? He says, just work work hard. And I said, well, I can't play and go to college at the same time. I just didn't have that skill. I was kind of like, you know, kind of uh, like I could do one thing pretty well, but if I had to do two and mix that up, I just thought I wasn't giving enough impact to uh, the uh one or the other. So I I had an offer from Minneapolis to go up to there and, and to sort of for a few gigs and so I took this guy and I went up there and it was a gig, it was like all young cats and we're all hanging out and it was a great time. It's like, wow, this is kinda of like what I want to do. I wanna play for a living. And uh I told my father, he said, Look, I wanna I wanna leave college and, and and move up to Minneapolis, I says, Well I don't he said, I don't think you can make it as a player and I said, well, what do you mean? He says, I don't think you're uh, mature enough. I don't think you're ready. I don't think you can handle it. And I said, so, uh you're telling me all the things that you taught me in high school and prepare for this and that and this, and it was all bullshit? <laughs> so I actually said, so like, <laughs> let's put your money where your mouth has been for the last, you know, 10 years and see if I can make a living. So... I went up there and I immediately got a a two week engagement at some gentleman's club up there. And, uh, it just, and then I got six months of work here and literally within about seven, eight months I had two nights off. And my first year of playing up there I made more money than my father ever made teaching high school band. So I think I changed his mind and, and then, you know, It just kind of started like that. I I wasn't thinking about being a jazz player as much as being just a a musician that can feed himself and not depend on my father's, uh, you know, because, you know, he had three other kids that he was helping out. You know, I didn't want to be a burden to him, so I said, well, how can I put this together? How can I play more tenor? You know, work on the clarinet harder, the flute harder, work on the alto, playing lead alto, playing section alto, you know, like, learning tunes, and just, you know, how do I uh, get into this circle? How do I, you know, meet this person? And, you know, just kind of, just, you kind know, of just like putting things together like that. So it wasn't, uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of great players up there, and I really learned from so many of them, but it just kind of taught me, well, how far can I go? I mean, I couldn't go, if, if I was on the Des Moines freelance scene, it wasn't that big of a city. And then Minneapolis got smaller because there was just a handful of guys doing a certain amount of gigs. So then I just said, you know, I'm gonna, I saved up a bunch of money and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try New York now. So, in 77, I saved up about five grand and I decided to, uh, try another level. I uh uh and like I said, I don't I don't think I outgrew Minneapolis I just think that uh there was only a certain handful of guys that were gonna do gigs and they either had to die and most of them were young. <laughs> so I wanted to go out and, and uh try another place to live as well. So in seventy seven uh a friend of mine was working uh, it was, he was playing lead alto in the University of Minnesota, and Pat Jones was the guest artist, and he was doing like a, you know, three or four day residency, and and my friend Randy Pink was was a lead alto player, and he came back and uh, he said, look, Bad Jones wanted to know if I would like to move to New York. I said, Randy, were you going to do it? He says, No, I told him I wasn't ready, but I told him you were ready. I said, You what? He doesn't know me from Adam. He says, Well, here's his number. Call him. So it was just such a fluke, and Dad was like that, you know. He just he would take chances that nobody would take, riding and playing and and running a big band, I guess, you know. So that's you know, I. I thought it was a, probably going to be a joke, so I, I called the number up, and this big low voice got on the phone, and I said, well, is this Dad Jones? He says, well, yes it is, uh, uh, who are you? Who's calling me? I says, well, my name is Dick Oates from, he says, oh yeah, Randy told me all about you. When can you come to New York? And I was just like, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it was like, God, I, you know, I, I'd been trying to get on Buddy's Band, or maybe trying to get on Kenton's band or you know but there wasn't any connections but then when I got a call from Thad he says yeah well we're looking for a tenor player for this tour the you know the stuff for Larry Schneider who's going to be out with Horace Silver and I said well yeah I can be out there in two weeks and so he said give me a call when you get into town so I got into LaGuardia and I gave him a call and he says yeah it's Monday you're playing tonight so I took my horn down, tenor, I play, I started playing tenor, uh, on that band. Was tenor, flute, and clarinet. And I went down there and that's kind of how it started.
1: So. Right on. Yeah. So what did you learn from the lessons over the years that helped you as a teacher?
2: As a teacher? Well, I think I learned, like, uh, how to be responsible for what I say I want to do and uh, how to be, you know, how to, uh, you know, be inspired, how to keep uh, myself in the game, how to keep growing, you know, it never stops. I mean, you're always going to work on making yourself a stronger player. It kind of, you know, it never uh, is a never-ending degree program. (laughs) You know, I always tell my students, they said. You know, this, it's not like a four-year degree what I did. It's like a 70-year degree, you know. You stay in the game, and when it's over, it's over. But, you know, I'm always in school. I'm always learning from so many other people. So it's like, you know, I I learned when I was playing with Tito's band, when I was playing with John Fattis' band, Carnegie Hall, and Red Rodney, or Bob Brookwater, Mel Lewis, all these bands, I, I was a student, I was just learning so much from and I think that no matter what today is with the coronavirus and all this stuff, I'm still learning. I'm still learning every time I teach somebody, every time I have a conversation, it's just kinda of like a built in on kinda of always been like a sponge, you know. And uh I mean there's a lot I needed to learn too, I'm telling you that. I I was so green. And I took a chance, and it just, I think that that's what you do when you play a solo. That's what you do when you, you're you always taking chances. So I kind of got, my career kind of got used to winging it and taking a chance in here, and sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. And how am I going to feel when it doesn't work out, you know? So I would say, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lifelong process, this jazz thing, cause it's, it's, uh, it's what, uh, kinda what I signed up for when I first got enthralled in it, when I was like eight or nine years old and wanted to sound like, uh, Louis Armstrong and, and, uh, Jack Teagarden and Dix and, and all these great things that, that inspired me early on, you know. And I was just like, I gotta say, you know, I mean, I'm so lucky to have I've had a father that was really into that, giving me the tradition and, uh, early on by listening to the right stuff. And, and uh, you know, I always tell my students, hey, it's all new school. Until yeah, you make it old school. So, right off. so that's kind of like I said, you never outgrow this stuff. It's never old until you really know. How to embrace it, so so that's kind of a good rendition.
1: Yeah. So let me ask let me ask you a question that's kind of ever present with what's going on right now in our world. You know, we're all going to get back to the music. We're going to get back to the crowds. So talk to me a little bit about what you hope both the musician and the audience realizes during this time of absence from the music. What do you what what what, what revelation do you hope we have?
2: Well, I think that just how uh, as a musician, how lucky we are. To be in an environment to express ourselves. You know? Uh, I think that, uh, that, that big picture has been overlooked. How we can express ourselves in the country we live in. I mean, it's not always easy. But, uh, I've been to so many other places that, uh, it's far worse. And I, I think that, uh, you know, it's gonna make people I think embrace each other, you know, and appreciate, uh, uh, you know, the advantages that, uh, we've been blessed with. So, um, that's, I'm hoping that, and I'm hoping that, that, uh, this awareness will make us like, you know, like, say nothing's permanent. This stuff could yeah. end in a heartbeat. Yep. And unless you make the most out of it now. You can't put it off. You gotta just yeah. you gotta stand up and want it and you know, you can't say, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Yep. No. You gotta get to it today. There's no other way to be. You know, so I think this will make uh, them aware of also we're like a big family as artists, you know. And to uh really Make sure that we encourage our brothers and sisters in this music or in any other arts to support and, uh, come down and listen to people that have gigs and, and, uh, you know, try to, uh, expand and try to think of, uh, you know, how much you can really do, you know, and encourage yourself and, and become a, This is what I'm really hoping is that we all become a big family again, supporting one another, not worrying about who has this gig or this gig or who's doing that and that. It's not even about that. It's just about uh, embracing the big picture, which is creativity and finding ways to express it.
1: Right on. That's a great way, I think, kind of a triumphant way to kind of wrap everything up. Thank you for thank you for taking some time out today to talk about your life, music, and what's going on in the world. I really appreciate it.
2: Sure, sure. Just man, I hope the young people keep in, encouraged because we need them. Yeah, we need absolutely. young artists moving forward, moving us forward, and moving themselves forward to keep our legacy alive. We need that for sure. Yeah. But so. a doubt. it great, Joe, and, and thanks for thanks for thinking of me, and, and good luck out there. You've got a lot of talent yeah. out there.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Iowa, Minnesota, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Dick for his time, music, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything neon jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: jazz.